fucking liberals have surf brain. Like, like they are yearning for the yoke of fucking feudalism. It's like they just can't help themselves. Yeah, I mean, well, I, I guess the, there's uh, just an aspect of people in life being trained to be kind of directed in that way. And so I don't necessarily blame uh, the ideology as much as our society generally, but I, which is heavily influenced by the ideology. So I guess a little chicken and egg. No, I, I just, the, yeah, uh, surf brain, I completely 100% agree with. The, the, I think that goes hand in hand with liberalism, though. I mean, if you, you look back to writings about liberalism from the, you know, right before fascists took over Italy or, you know, in Germany, it, it makes exactly the same sense. They're all looking for some manager to come in and, and fix the rules because, hey, this other team isn't playing by the rules. And, you know, we need the rules to be enforced. And so they fetishize the rules without understanding that the rules can only be enforced if you have power. And they're more than willing and actually prefer someone else take the reins of power. So they're looking for a boss or a superhero or something along those lines rather than anything, you know, doing anything themselves. I mean, yeah, boss or a superhero, but I, I, honestly, like they, they put it in the words of like boss and superhero, but they like, they are legit just looking for like landed gentry. They just want like Hillary yeah, Clinton, hundred percent, like their Lord. And they want to work in her, like fucking, they want to work on her plantation, uh, while she like like she, like she had in in uh, Arkansas, yeah. I mean, honestly, people, like slave role play is very popular amongst white people. They've done some Broadway about it recently, haven't they? I, I'm I'm not up on that. That's that's a little too ethnic for me to be perfectly honest. Like, I'm not trying to. Uh, sorry for talking to a mouthful of pancake. You know, you know, eat big to get big, motherfuckers. I, I failed that three fifty. Ah, uh, poor Ronnie. Whatever. Uh, quickly, there an electoral point on on that the fetishization of rules uh, or just the obsession with rules is. I just think that also strengthens the argument that it's not worth trying to convince the people, those people, but rather just you know overwhelm them with uh, you know the support for the other thing, and then they'll change the rules to what we think they should be more or less or whatever, and they'll follow along anyway. For, well, I mean, in a lot of cases i agree but also i mean because yeah honestly because like i hate to use uh terminology that i've heard popularized on like fucking conspiracy podcast but you know the flat earthers have a point that there is like this kind of mainstream person news consumer who again i would say are centrist who like they are kind of sheeple and when they when you like, t- are tweeting about yearning for someone to be your boss it's like no, you like it, the the name fits, right? Like where you like you're just like you're just literally yearning for the yoke of fucking, uh, you know, wage slavery essentially. Like why we're trying to abolish bosses? Fuck, I don't want to have a job. I want money. Like I, I'm actually disgusted. I'm forced to jump through hoops. It is pretty absurd, like just the the hoops that we're forced to jump through in order to survive. And I think the alienation from the labor that we perform to the function that it perform it fills in society is increasingly stressing the entire system, as we I think most of us has noticed. Oh, absolutely. I mean, it gives rise to all sorts of like idiosyncrasies within the system. I mean, you know, Trump is is a form of it. So is Bernie. Everything is is related to it. Just to your point about rules and Democrat fetishization of them, it's like, I, I don't want to talk about the Democrats anymore today, you know, besides the point I just made about, um, you know, about them like having surf brain and also the joke I'm going to make about Hillary Clinton uh, in her new podcast right after I make this point. But like, 
you can see that fetishization and also like just the sheer lack of understanding that normal people and i hate using the term normal but like it, people who aren't centrist like everyone else like like people who live in the real world and not that bubble of like the eight percent of people who are actually succeeding under the status quo and therefore define their ideology by their reaction to the status quo rather their comfort under it it's like you can see that mentality in the way they talk about the DNC and how like, oh, in the case of a coup or in case of like, no one gets the majority of votes, they just get the plurality. It would be perfectly reasonable for someone who didn't get the plurality to become the, uh, to become the nominee through like the super delegates assigning them like that position, right? Like they just, sim- I mean, obviously there's a level of not disingenuousness. I think disingenuousness requires active knowledge that you're being a fucking hypocrite but there's just this level of hypocrisy there that it, it's because obviously they didn't like they didn't feel that way when Hillary Clinton lost the electoral college right but like it, it shows it, it emphasizes the point that I made before which is that for a certain portion of the population uh they have actively replaced like real morality like real rationality with like the technical rationality that was foisted upon the majority of the world or was you know that we that that we're we're indoctrinated with essentially because of neoliberalism and also i mean it was really just a facet of modernity uh that like essentially posits that as long as someone is as long as you're following the rules or like following the law to the letter of it people are not allowed to be upset with you people are not allowed to be aggrieved or disenfran or feel disenchanted or disenfranchised with the outcome of those laws like they, they, you see it all the time when it comes to like the performative or not the performative the shallow process procedural uh the shallow procedural uh steps that we go to every time a cop shoots a, like an unarmed black person and we have like and they the da who's in the pocket of the you know who is friendly with the cops and drags the cop in front of a grand jury and fails to get an indictment and you know people are like well justice like well, justice was served but in this particular instance you know the idea that like they could that the the idea or the lack of understanding of just how deleterious doing that would be to like how self-destructive it would be as a party is lost on them because like in their heads they're just you know they're just playing by the rules and the rules say it's okay and so therefore like no one's allowed to have any other feelings about it it, it it's well, very, very I, I think it's i think it's a little bit more than that i mean i think that you know matt taibbi has made this great point he made it during the 2016 election that part of the whole clinton strategy with the pied piper was that they were going to set trump up to win the, the uh the party and that in the gop and then the media was going to help her knock him down and the media has found that due to like distributive networks of communication like Twitter and other places, they no longer wield the same amount of power over what type of information gets out and what type of information is talked about. They, they hold significant sway still over the conversation, but it's not total. So, you know, when they're saying, the DNC people are saying, oh, no, 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 don't worry about it. These are the rules. It's more along the lines of like, yeah, we know this is fucked up. We know this is corrupt, but we're going to control the message and we'll just be able to convince everyone postdoc that it's fine. And I, I think what they're not reckoning with is that, you know, just like the Sanders movement has been built off of alternative forms of communication, most Americans are no longer looking to the same types of platforms that the Democratic Party as a whole and as an institution holds sway over that will be like their messaging. So I think they're not reckoning with the fact that there's going to be alternatives to their message getting out in real time 
that aren't coming from like say Fox or the RNC. It's going to be actual members of the DNC, including some of the ones who are super delegates and are, who are involved in the decision-making process that are going to be completely the opposite of what they are going to be saying after they do this. So it's not going to be an effective counter messaging message, uh, counter messaging organization or um, event that will allow them to get away with it basically. And they've been getting away with shit like this forever and ever and ever. I mean, just look at the caucuses, right? So Bernie instituted all of these changes in the caucus through the unity commission, which was how we got to know what the popular vote was. Always before, the only thing we knew was the SDEs. Now we know that like the SD, the, the IDC, the uh, Iowa Democratic chair is saying that, no, no, even though they have bad math on these worksheets, we can't change these worksheets. So it still goes to Pete. And like, basically the caucuses in Iowa have probably never been fucking fair or legit or even calculated correctly. And they've just been an exercise in whatever the power structures of the democratic party wants. And so we know that now when we never would have ever before and like MSNBC and CNN and all the messaging arms of the democratic party are never going to talk about that. But we know that because we have alternative methods of communicating our information. Well, yeah, but we have the ultimate method. We have those ultimate. We have those alternate methods of communicating our information, and like we have, we've created these channels and these groups on Facebook and Twitter and these like alternative media sources because because of that gap between our own experiences and what the media is reporting, right? Because it was right. very easy, and I mean that gap became incredibly uh, visible. Uh, like in 2016, although it was quite visible before then, when you know you had people who were trying to get through their day-to-day lives, and you had people consistently going on the news telling them, like, rather, and Democratic Party's message was, "Hey, you know, America's already great. Everything is fine, right?" Like that, like that particular dynamic of like having people on TV, having Democratic circuits on TV, trying to resist Trump's message of like "Make America Great Again" and "Isn't America a piece of shit?" and "Haven't you been left behind by the government?" with a message of actually everyone who matters is okay and so therefore you should be too is why i disagree that it's them just actively trying to control the narrative like i agree that they try to control the narrative however i also think that they're like we're, we've talked about this before off off the show but there is a little bit of this like what's i'm looking for devolution or uh, de- degradation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Merit- meritocratic Habsburg syndrome. Yeah, it's meritocratic. I mean, it's integral. It's definitely meritocratic Habsburg syndrome. But like, there's this degradation of the media class and the political media class and just like the elites, insofar as that like there's been so much self dealing and self serving and someone's dumb nephew getting a job and someone's dumb cousin getting a job and someone's you know and some connected uh, CEOs fucking stepson who failed out of grad school getting a job in the t- a think tank or a consultancy and being allowed to just run roughshod and all of the old guard who were just like straight up like we're gonna break your fucking kneecaps uh in order to make sure that class power is preserved they've kind of you know they've they've gone over they've died they've, they, they've abandoned the part harry reed is gone it's right. like harry reed's gone like and, like and who's replaced fucking harry reed you know who's like pete who's buttigieg. yeah pete buttigieg like, and he's a fucking dumbass you know like like, 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 and, but that's the ossification of the party. But at the same time, because of that whole thing of the meritocratic Habsburg syndrome, we still have these people who are running things, believing that they are just as powerful as the old guard. Their methodology of, uh, or the old guard's methodology of doing things is still perfectly okay of controlling everything and nothing can go wrong. 
but, you know, I don't want to go too, too far down this line because we, we talked about Democratic Party fucking enough, and I certainly didn't watch that last fucking debate. Uh, I don't know if any of you did. I haven't even watched Fuck clips. Fuck no. I, I'm no, like, I, when I found out there was another debate fucking, like, after, when we just had one and I just fucking sat through it, I, 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 I tapped the fuck out. You know, your boy Chad's not no coward, but I can't, I'm not, I'm not self-destructive either. You know, don't let my tweets about drugs fool you. I'm not self-destructive. It's like, I'm not going to just like subject myself to that. But also I have to say, you know, I know we have a few episodes titled like everyone hates Hillary and Hillary Clinton owns slaves and Hillary Clinton hangs out with pedophiles and Hillary Clinton enables rapists. (laughs) But like, we have to kind of tone it down because she's starting a new podcast. And so now we, and so now we share something in common with her. So that, you know, this is like podcaster info, my man. Also, you should definitely I, shoot for that invite. You should I, definitely shoot for that invite. Honestly, I, I'm, I want to invite on just for your exposure, but I need to wait a few episodes because she has a warrant out on her from Tulsi, from Dodger and Tulsi Gabbard's process server. And I don't want to be sitting there trying to like have a nuanced conversation and like dog the fucking bounty hunter comes through the window and tackles her ass, <laughs> <laughs> tackles her ass and calls her the N word. <laughs> something just on like the points that you guys were raising quickly without falling back into it but i think part of what we're seeing is essentially that the you know the american experiment wasn't actually to destroy feudalism but to more or less streamline it and put with the meritocracy or and put a you know meritocracy on top of it so that people bought into it in a way but without actually changing a lot of the underlying structures at play and so we're seeing basically the mask starting to slip off of what was always a bullshit system and you know that people put faith in hoping that they could tinker with it well enough to get it where they wanted and uh, essentially you know the warns the still tinkering but without i don't want to dive back into that i just want to make that point quickly that's a good point. Just two points in response that didn't i'm going to clumsily pivot to the topic of the actual show it's like yeah i mean first we're, we're seeing the slow erosion of the myth of meritocracy. And first we saw that myth being stripped away when it came to things like, you know, being wealthy, right? Like the, the wealthy elite are not wealthy because they earn it. Although people are still fucking struggling with that. But now we're seeing the erosion, especially when it comes to the, the, the media and the political media and uh, politics and whoever like stands above, and even all these academic spaces like tenured professors, we're seeing this erosion of the myth of intellectual meritocracy, right? That like these positions that people occupy that might index that they are actually smart or like they have some sort of inherent intellectual uh, fortitude are we're also kind of just handed out due to self dealing, right? And that's why we're also seeing that erosion of <laughs> the quality of our media and the quality of our political. Uh, political sphere too i also want to just add quickly as you raised it as well as that uh, part of the reason the meritocracy and all that stuff is to be for it to be less violent essentially and it it feeds off of uh, i think the current also of uh, preference for negative peace rather than positive peace but continue i'm not an expert on serfdom so i'm not going to continue i'm going to pivot uh that's not what we're here to talk about today. We're done with talking about Democrats. I'm tired of that shit. The show can't just be a fucking breakdown or whatever the fuck is going with Democratic Party every week because I'll get fucking bored and stop wanting to do it. So today we're going to talk about something else that recently re-entered the news that John wasn't here for the first time we talked about, and that was the coup in Bolivia. Because today it turned out, surprise, surprise, that it was a coup. Who could have guessed it? But since I've done a lot of talking. Yeah, I wanted to say one thing about this because I, I, this is, the coup in Bolivia is really what drove me to come back to the show and come back online. Um, 
I was, the day that it happened, I've been a big fan of Eva Morales for a long time. I thought that he was probably one of the best presidents we've seen in my, my lifetime uh, on a national stage. Um, and I, uh, I was in tears the day that they overthrew him, and, and especially considering I follow like the economic policies of Bolivia pretty closely. And I, I've, you know, watched Evo's career and thought about it and thought about the different um, aspects and different ways in which he's tried to tackle, you know, the, the, the rampant revisionism from the Western side of news and media, but also from the reactionaries within his own country. Like he didn't go a Chavez mode, but he did try to, to walk a fine line and it didn't matter. He got stabbed in the back anyway. And, and so the day that Evo was overthrown, I was in tears and I was shaking the entire day and I didn't know how to get on. And, and in fact, like to borrow the line of a movie title, I, I told my wife, like, I don't feel at home in this world anymore as a direct result of that. And it was a real come to Jesus moment because it made me realize like, you know, what little I can do in terms of, you know, fucking posting or this podcast or talking to people, I have to take a more active role in doing because nobody who I knew on a daily basis knew anything about Bolivia or what was happening there. And when I was talking to them, telling them, no, this is a fucking coup, everyone said, well, but the OAS said that, no, 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 it wasn't. And, you know, the, the Trump administration, while we don't like them, you know, they're saying it wasn't. And, you know, Nancy Pelosi and Elizabeth Warren are both all saying it wasn't. And the only motherfucker who was coming in right out and saying, hey, this is a goddamn coup, was Bernie motherfucking Sanders. So I, I got to give him props that he towed that line despite the fact that, and we got pushback universally from all sides that it was not a coup. And thanks to the New York Times and the, oh, the Washington Post as well, based off of an MIT study that shows that Evo probably would have won by 10% on the first round of voting, which would have meant that he would automatically have been president again. And it was the OAS who was siding with this white supremacist, Christian supremacist who they put in charge, uh, rather than going by the law and the actual fucking votes. I don't know. What, what, do, what do the people at MIT really know about math compared to the folks at the OAS? But go on. Well, I mean, they're funded by Epstein, so uh, probably, probably how to count to 12. But the Center for Economic and Policy Research, which is a very good leftist economic think tank, uh, was on this from day one saying, hey, this is not a fucking, this is not right, and this is a coup, and proving it out with math, math, mathematics as well. And so to have MIT come in as a non, quote unquote, nonpartisan organization who themselves are responsible for like war crimes and all sorts of bad shit, saying, no, no, this is a fucking coup, it, it actually gives some validation. Well, no, and I think it speaks to a, a deeper problem and trend of, you know, like uh, that. Basically, the people that noticed it right away were cast off as conspirators or conspiracy theorists and so on and so forth. And then it's not until these notoriously horrific organizations or groups or uh, whatever come out and then say, oh, no, actually it was. And then it, it lends the credibility of validation for the centrists and the technocrats and so on and so forth to be like, oh, well, I guess. But the damage has already been done. Right. And I mean, Evo himself immediately said, hey, this is about the lithium. And now we've got Tesla in negotiations with this white supremacist organization and Elon Musk tweeting about it, how he's going to go into Bolivia and develop batteries rather than having a Bolivian com company that was benefiting the Bolivian people making batteries for the rest of the world as Evo had planned. I mean, honestly, I assume that fucking uh, Richard was being sarcastic when he said, what's the MIT note? But, uh, <laughs> apparently he was not. Uh, but no, I mean, so it, uh, 
we recorded our episode on Bolivia. You weren't here for that, John, which I'm, I'm glad you're here for this one. Um, I think maybe like six or seven hours after it happened. And it was so clearly a coup, like that looking through, looking at it with like, without the blinders of American neoconservative hegemonic ideology, uh, occluding your vision, like it it made it, it, it was, it was just, it was obvious. Like it was, it was clearly a coup. Like it was so clearly a coup that I'd argue anyone who looked at it and did not see that it was a coup is like is simply incapable of like using like rational judgment. Well, and the, it was for ten percent. Like, it was over a ten percent margin, which would have led to a runoff, which anybody would have saw Evo would have won anyway. So it's just like it's so ridiculous to start beginning. Well, no, I mean, you got to remember, they burned, they burned all the ballots. <laughs> so, uh, like, right, right, John? Like, you know, you know what happens when people, it, it, it's, a, it's always the first move that people do when they're accusing someone of election fl- fl- or fraud to burn all the ballots so you can't check. But, you know, just, uh, and like I keep bringing up, despite what you think about Tim Canova and his fucking crazy word ass turn, like they burned the fucking ballots in his district when he challenged the results against Debbie Wasserman Schultz. I mean, so... Richard makes the good point that people who people like us, well, not us specifically. Uh, I just got attacked by I just got attacked by like CIA bots on Twitter for like implying that there was a coup. Uh, they're all I'm they're all gone now. Surprise, surprise, surprise! All the real, all the very real Bolivians who were angry at me for 24 hours in the aftermath of this coup. It's are perfect English. Support. I mean, like plenty of Bolivians speak perfect English. Like people, like America is the only question, the only country in the world people tend to not be where native-born uh, people tend to not be fucking bilingual. Uh, well, but there's also John class divide, and who's yeah, but there's a class divide in who speaks multiple languages in Bolivia. The fact that they spoke multiple languages was not the was not the suspicious part. The fact that they that their accounts have been all been made in the past six months, and they were talking about how like they just made like they're just tweeting from the streets right now during a violent uprising. Like no, like no, nothing suspicious about that. The first thing I do when my country is having a revolution is, is make a Twitter account. Although to be fair, like that is the first thing I would do, but I'm a weirdo, so you know <laughs> it is what it is. But it, at that, but like. We came out very quickly, like, this is a coup. Like, we have, um, we, you know, we have Wikipedia, and, like, you can just Google coup, and it'll have a whole section about uh, U.S. history. But, like, there was this pushback, like Richard said, from more, you know, theoretically more ostensibly serious sources and, like, and, like you know, more uh, reasonable, like, quote-unquote smart trademark people who were like whoa 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 not so fast this might not be a coup and i was like how could you like how could you even come to that conclusion but then i think about it you know like anyone who listens to the show knows that i love conspiracy theories it's like it's what i do all the time i've reached i've recently branched out from flat earth to 9-11 to uh (laughs) what you call to chemtrails no I'm, i'm loving learning about this stuff but like what has struck me and not only when it comes to Bolivia and people labeling, you know, essentially coming out, this is like coming out with the opinion, this is a coup uh, relatively early based on historical analysis and like just basic pattern recognition is that like a lot of our media, especially our political media, exists to coddle and flatter centrists into the belief that they are hyper competent and hyper rational. Of course, this is ascriptive because I would argue that centrism itself 
is like the most radical ideology one can have, even though it presents itself as being an anti-ideology uh, by nature of it not being the, you know, it, it draws a contrast between itself and the fringes, which it collapses into one thing to make the argument that, hey, you know what, we're the rational people in the conversation. We're the adults here. But, you know, and while that's very flattering, I would argue it's also a double-edged sword because what it does is it convinces people with that proximity to power that they have to actually perform that, that rationality and perform that uh, hyper-competence in a way that actually makes them very, very irrational. <laughs> like it makes them very irrational. And it makes them require a level of proof of something that is incredibly unreasonable and incredibly uh, it, and it's an incredibly unreasonable bar to, to reach. So like you have something like what happened in Bolivia, where you have this indigenous president who is elected with incredibly popular, incredibly well, like has, you know, has lifted the country out of poverty, has helped marginalize people being overthrown by a right wing, like Christian fucking, uh, essentially a terrorist group. <laughs> And, you know, you have, like, people who consider themselves, like, good allies of people of color, good allies of the global south, you know, anti-war, anti-Trump, like, sitting there scratching their thick monkey craniums going, like, hey, you know what? America might have been involved in, like, a hundred coups. America may have enabled a hundred coups in the past year, but that doesn't necessarily mean that they have been involved in this one just because we just did a coup, like, last week in fucking Venezuela. Oh, or not even that. The fucking OAS was involved in the Honduran coup in 2009. Like, it's not that fucking long ago. 2004 in Haiti, and this is still causing issues now, which uh, I want to talk a little bit about later. But still, yeah, it, it's rampant it, it's rampant and like it creates this very weird box that they have to be put in where like they're just incredibly fun by them i mean centrist at this point they're incredibly feckless and incredibly of feet and they're left just like paralyzed in the face of like recurring like recurring fucking coups in global south because they they like they they are so afraid of deviating from like the mainstream opinion and like losing that sort of, or like, and demonstrating that they're like, they're incompetent or fucking like irrational or being labeled conspiratorial that like by the time, by the time they get enough quote unquote information to make or like to make the correct decision, which most people who have like any knowledge of the, like the, the past or, you know, American policy in the global South make like it's already too late. Like it's too late to say that it, it's a coup in Bolivia now. Like it's too late. Sorry. Like you know, like that. Like that ship has sailed. Like you know, Evo Morales. Like his dog is dead. It got ran over by a fucking tank. Uh, like the day after. Like it's. It was clear from the beginning, though. Like to believe otherwise is just to lie to yourself. Like I, you know. And the worst part about this is that it'll happen again, and we'll go through this exact same thing again, and they'll pretend that's the pattern recognition is a bad word. Like that you can never draw like conclusions based on the past actions of America simply because like, I mean, well, simply because that's a facet of power and that's how class power is preserved. Like anyone who has power uh, or rather one aspect of power is demanding that you, you treat every in incident as though it's discreet and not part of a pattern of misbehavior. Right. So like when they, they appoint John Negroponte to be in charge of the Trump Venezuela policy and Ilan Omar has to be the one to stand up and say, what the fuck are we doing with this guy? And everyone else shits on her rather than saying, Oh yeah, this guy ran the fucking death squads. Oh, 
it's it's a perfect example of that that happening and exactly those people are fucking legit fucking war criminals like they're like legit psychos like they are, they are just like legit like monsters yeah, like and convicted like, <laughs> I mean, was, not that the law fucking matters, right. but yeah, it's hard for an American to be convicted of war crimes. <laughs> it's, it's real hard. And it's like, and it is, I guess if you want to be technical, it's about lying about the war crimes because there is no accountability for the actual war crimes. But he did lie to Congress about them, which there is a, apparently lying to Congress is something that there is a shred of accountability for in some instances. And it's just it, it like you speak to another part of it that these institutions have intentions it's like uh, institutions like the OAS it's clear that there's a pattern of behavior and like with uh, I mentioned Haiti a moment ago that like there's a lot basically it's popular thought in Haiti that there was pressure from the U.S. that essentially either they would support the uh, the people in the streets uh, against the neoliberal regime if they didn't support uh, the OAS uh, voting or saying that, uh, excuse me, Venezuela uh, Maduro was not a legitimate president, like that his elections were legitimate. So it's the pattern continues and it, they build off one another and pressure one off of the other. And so the betrayal of Maduro by Haiti was seen as a big uh, issue and is like the idea that the OAS was acting behind the scenes is something that isn't even really mentioned. And then again, it goes into oh, you're being conspiratorial. And it's like they, the OAS is a democratic organization that f- wants to further the interest of democracy. Is like you have to buy into so so much bullshit in order to even line up with the next bo- line of bullshit that they put. It, it's bewildering to me, I guess. Well, I mean, but I mean, they're still saying that the the elections in Honduras in 2009, which were hastily thrown together if they put the lady on a plane at gunpoint, were fair and free when you've got all these people we've literally got a guy in jail right now in florida for rigging that election you know like he's being charged with election fraud and like stealing votes and doing all sorts of fraud and you know they're just like no no that that election's fair this government's legit and you meanwhile got them running out and killing activists and and union organizers so it's kind of like that's what the OAS's purpose is. It's not dem- democracy, much like we constantly talk about the United States. It, it's to further the capital exploitation of areas of the world, and in this case, South and Central America. And then when you look at it, when you frame it that way, then you the actions are make more sense and they seem less conspiratorial or uh, you know any sort of you know wild or out there, and it just makes sense as practical. Right. It's a rationale. Well, I mean, here's the thing, though. Like, it, what people forget, you mentioned John Capante, and you know, there's also John Bolton and any number of people. But what you forget, though, is that like neoconservatism is hegemonic, which I mentioned earlier. It's like so, you know, the presence of people like John Capante and Bolton and Trump and Kissinger and God, America has a lot of war. <laughs> America has a lot of war criminals, dude. Uh, like Obama, you know, the, the Obama. But I mean, like, I mean, Obama's terrible. But like, but like yeah, some people, yeah, some yeah. people are like, you know, like legit fucking like, like fucking psychos, dude. Yeah, Ali uh, North. Like, yeah, but like, the, like the existence of people like that, the existence of people who are like, leg- and this is why I'm going to separate them out from like Obama too. Like the existence of people like that who are like legit big in fucking neoconservatives, just like the existence of like big in neoliberals and like big R racists. Well, not big R racists, but like bigots, right? Obscures the fact, obscures just how hegemonic neoconservatism is and how deeply like the belief that like 
America has some reason to be involved or America is an, is an objective arbiter of the world's, of the legitimacy of the world's democracy, it's actually ingrained in people's fucking head to a degree they don't necessarily reflect on because they're able to go like, well, you know what? Hey, I'm not fucking, I'm not John Negroponte. Like, I, like, I don't support John Bolton. So therefore, like, I am distinct from like neoconservatives. It's like, yeah, but you know, like, I'm distinct from like, uh, like, bigots but racism is still something that colors my view because i was in doctor i was socialized into a society where like racism is hegemonic so you know it's important to realize that like people who are like not only is it the centrist like per, per, the centrist performance of like hyper competence and hyper rationality but that is like but what counts as like competent and rational is also being fucking colored by neoconservative hegemonic ideals right and so there is this like not only this desire like okay well i don't want to put myself out there and be wrong right be like and I, that's something i do think school does it convinces people that like the worst thing you can be is wrong but what they don't realize like there's there's never there's never a penalty for being wrong in service of class power you can be wrong <laughs> you can be wrong every day in the service of well, class jonathan power. chait his whole career is based off of it right look at like, what they've done wrong. to seymour hirsch I mean, one of the premier investigative journalists of our time, he was absolutely right about what happened with Osama bin Laden, or at least the broad narrative. And the only place it can get published is London Review of Books. I mean, yeah, like fucking, you know how many, like how many oopsies we've had on, like in uh, geopolitics that have killed like hundreds of thousands of people? A lot, right? And like, but that's not, that's, those are viewed as like, understandable mistakes or like whoopsies where like the fear of being like wrong and having people laugh at you uh when it comes to like fighting against the status quo is so much more weighty than being wrong in service of it it's like the fear of like oh well what if i come out and i demonstrate that i'm not knowledgeable on on bolivian history of like for the past 300 years what if i demonstrate that i don't speak fluent spanish what if i demonstrate you know that like i can't i can't roll my r's when i say evo evo morales's name like then people like might laugh at me and i might be like i might lose that kind of social capital that comes from being hyper-rational, hyper-competent. But that basically means that you can't ever, like ever, 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 like come up with a coherent or real analysis because what counts, like I mentioned before, what counts as like rational and what counts as competent in the context of America are things that are in line with the status quo. You're always going to be a conspiracy theorist once you de- once you deviate from that. And there are real penalties. Like it's, I don't I don't want to present this as though this is entirely in people's heads. There are real penalties like you mentioned for Seymour Hurst from from deviating from the status quo. It's just those penalties are not because you're wrong, they're because they have the power. Right? This is not like uh this is that's like that's lost on some people. I can name four more journalists right now who have been punished in that way. You know, like <laughs> They they fu- they fucking assassinated my Hastings. <laughs> like no right. Gary <laughs> Webb, they drove to fucking suicide. Glenn Greenwald, they're trying to drive out of politics. Aaron Mate can't fucking find a job. We can even put this conversation about people resisting talking about like Bolivia as a coup until way past the point where it matters and way past the point at where it was reasonable. Uh in conversation with what happened in Iowa, Pete Buttigieg, and how that still has become unresolved because people just like people just abandoned it because they were afraid of putting themselves out there in case they were wrong. Oh, oh no, the IDC is now, as of today, about two hours ago, the IDC was saying that there were they checked all the results and the SDE still come out in favor of Pete. And there's a guy by the name of Tanil. I don't know if any of you have seen him online who's been going through and finding individual districts that are wrong. He says there's th- still three districts and especially one that are not, not even reported 
Like, so they're not even being taken into account for the result. Of course it wasn't, it wasn't settled, but the 24 hour news cycle demands that we move past it. So it has the illusion of being settled. Like, I'm sure if you asked people like, you know, a random person on the street, which is a horrible metric to use, uh, like they would probably think it was so settled. Like that, you know, it stopped happening. But the issue with that was where it's like, you know, people who were just coming out and presenting facts, like facts and patterns, and not even really drawing any conclusions. Like, hey, like these facts are troubling. Like these facts about Bolivia are troubling. These facts about Pete Buttigieg and Iowa and Shadow and the Pod Save Boys and the DNC. This is all troubling and incredibly suspicious. And like, and one might be make the reasonable assumption that something immoral was going on. It's like those people were presented as conspiratorial up until the point in which it became impossible to deny. Uh, and then everyone just got quiet and we moved past it, right? Like we just, we no longer talk about it. And like, and it, because like, it's just not, it's just, it's no longer news, right? And it's frustrating, you know, when you when we do this because it, it's a cycle. It's a cycle of it's a cycle of like smug dismissal from people who should know better or people who pre, who present themselves as smart, rational people, uh, and and then like silence once that smug rationality has been proven wrong. None of the people who like said that Bolivia wasn't a coup are going to come out and apologize because they're not expected to apologize for that. None of the people who said Russiagate was a thing are going to come out and apologize for Russiagate. Russiagate was, I mean, Russiagate was a moral panic that was, again, aimed at, it was a narrative meant to fucking flatter egos of centrists. Like, it was meant right, to absolve. Vein. But the point well, I'm making is it's, the same, it's within the same vein. I mean, whether or not this was a coup or whether or not, you know, the security state was telling us information without ever providing any background for it, like the case in Russiagate, um, it, it still is the same thing. It flatters power. So therefore... We don't ever move on to the point where we address it and say, oh, yeah, this happened. You know, like we don't talk about even just even ancient history. We don't talk about how Dulles was running around in Europe recruiting people to say, hey, look, U.S. will side with the fascists if you just get rid of this Hitler guy. And then when they lost, shepherding out a whole bunch of top tier fascists that were all around Europe to South and Central America and America. Like nobody talks about that shit. Oh, no, of course not. My point is, is that like it's all about flattering power and the narratives that get harped on over and over and over again are the ones that flatter power or meanwhile the ones that you know are the like the bolivia coup are ignored completely which is why i think that the democrats in power again getting back to them think that if they pull the nomination from bernie if he has a florida votes they'll be able to just move past it and nobody will. well cia pete is still out there claiming victory he's like i, I see he's running ads in my state that say he's like i'm the only one who's beat bernie sanders and it's like and no, and nobody's challenging him on that. And yet, every time uh, anybody, like you know, whatever, baloney boy sixty nine four twenty tweets something rude at some check mark, Bernie's got to answer for it. But Pete's are going around saying that he won Iowa when no nobody is saying that, like other than the Iowa Democratic Party and Pete. And nobody calls him or checks him or says, "Hey, well, you know, no." Uh, respectable organization has been willing to call Iowa in your favor. How are you going around telling people you're one and you're the only person who would be Bernie Sanders? Like that doesn't make sense. That doesn't make sense, but he knows he's got to keep saying it. And he said it day one and he keeps saying it because, and for him, unfortunately, that's not going to be true after South Carolina. But I mean, like, this is like, how come no one's talking about Biden saying he was arrested alongside Mandela? Biden is not all there. Like you, like you can convince Biden that he's a member of the Nation of Islam if you sit, if you spend enough time talking to him. You know, like he, he's just, he's gone. I, I can't, I can't even, I don't even feel comfortable judging Biden at this point because, like, he's just not. You know, it's just like but that's a conversation. That's something we should be fucking talking about. 
at least he has more sense than Pete to, you know, like basically claim credibility from black people who can't dispute that, you know, he's support that they're supporting him, you know, <laughs> like, I mean, Pete's just making up support for black supporters every, seemingly every other week. Yeah, he keeps doing that and no one brings it up. And like, it becomes more and more weird that no one is bringing it up. And it, it does make you feel crazy, though. Like, it makes like stuff like this, I will admit, that doesn't make me feel crazy because I don't care. Uh, but like, it does make, I could see how it could make people feel incredibly crazy and go down like dark rabbit holes. And like, that's the thing. I think it was some, some rando pundit was talking about like in, in conversation with Epstein. And this is, that's another thing you can put this in conversation with too, where it's just like, the like like how epstein and bolivia and any of these conspiracy theories are gonna you know are gonna lead people down well who's specifically about epstein so i don't want to necessarily put words in in their mouth in terms of like collapsing altogether but how conspiracies like this are capable of leading people down uh, a far right path because a they all they're all i mean they're often weaponized by the far right in order to get people in order to get people their foot into the door and sensationalized for entertainment value in ways that like take away from the the su- substance to continue. No, yeah, it's sensationalized and also like occlude with occlude class power. Like conspiracy theories, generally speaking, can be very useful in uh in disguising like the true mechanisms of what control the world, like which is like you know capitalism. And you know, like it's all it's funny to say Bush did nine eleven, but like you know in reality, like capitalism did nine eleven. Like like capitalism, like capitalism did nine eleven. Right. And like and once you start engaging conspiracy theories where like you're you're like you find yourself like replacing the conspiracy theories where the core of the conspiracy is about like capitalism and corruption and like racism or other like other like actual structures of power in my and for my position are good ones. The bad ones are ones that like so like supplant the capitalism or preserving class power with more like esoteric like more esoteric explanations like well you know the mason the freemasons want to steal your want to steal your life energy to power like power you know their alien spaceship to get to nibiru it's like no that's a conspiracy theory like asking why you know asking why uh you know pete's campaign manager was fucking like tweeting out the password for fucking for the fucking like voting app is not a conspiracy theory. It's a question. It's just a question. It's and what people are saying are conspiracies oftentimes are just like the implications of like the implications of the questions that are being asked, the implications of the fact they're being presented with. Uh, but you know, going back to what John said, it's like the media does play a role in this too, especially because like they're part of the they're part of the system that especially well they play a role in in like sort of chastising people from deviating from mainstream narrative because they're the ones who are presenting mainstream narratives and a large part of what makes them you know socially valuable is that they have to have control of the narrative right like you know like john mentioned earlier and so like there is an aspect of this where like they want to have absolute control over the narrative and like and so part of that is like positioning people who like deviate from that as being conspiratorial like like we know the me i mean we know like we we've all rather we've all seen the image of like the tinfoil hat wearing conspiracy theorist who is like crazy and always talking about like aliens and government mind control experiments and people laugh at them because ha ha ha. It's like, yeah, but here's the thing. The government did do mind control experiments. Well, you know, what's funny is even in the dramatic presentations, they usually end up being right. Like, that's, <laughs> exactly. It's like the, gov- yeah. the government, the government did do mind control experiments. Like the, like and they possibly like, did mind control experiments on Charles Manson. Like, which is so fucked up. America did recruit Nazis post World War II, like World World War II, to, to help to help 
its space program and defeat the communists. Like, and and its intelligence services and it's like things like Operation Fucking Gladio in Italy. Operation Gladio, Operation Paperclip, Operation Condor, like, like all of these operations exist and like worse than exist. Like this is why I say it's like it's a performative rationality or and I've heard people call it it's also like nuance poisoning, the demand for more and more information before you make your decision or like just the inclusion of esoteric and unhelpful details to bring you know to like uh, obscure like the larger thesis of the point uh like all the stuff that you, all the information that you needed to like determine that the bolivia happened the situation the, all the information you needed to determine that the situation in bolivia was suspicious was available in wikipedia and like with like a cursory amount of googling you could have figured it out and so, like, there is this fear that is on of people of coming out ahead of these things, but it basically prevents anything from happening. Like, it, it's like it's it's so like it's so that fear is so paralyzing that like it, we we basically live in a world where where power like where power is represented by like the old, well rather where like it, our society has become a fucking classroom where everyone but the most crazy everyone but the most like fucking sociopathic people are just afraid to raise their fucking hand and so and so everyone the entire class is being held hostage by the people who are trying who the, the sociopaths who are trying to control the narrative because they're the only ones who are like are willing to put themselves out there half the time because they're, they're the only ones who don't believe the fucking hype or they're too fucking weird to like to actually follow it their ability, their plausible deniability. Before, you know, Walter Cronkite could pretend that he didn't know or didn't hear about something that, you know, we're hearing now, or the average, particularly the average person, be like, well, this is what I heard on the news. It's like, you're telling me that maybe these numbers aren't right. I don't know who you're talking about. I can't see the math. Do the math myself. I don't know. He's like, but now you have uh, instant feedback where, you know, these uh, talking heads or check marks will say something and then somebody will be able to say, oh, no, actually, uh, this first, this group did the math and this is what it says. And so uh, you have to contend with that. And they try to just pretend that it doesn't exist or try to dismiss it outright or do the various things that we've talked about so far. But the, the ability for people to challenge those narratives in real time is causing the plausible deniability that they've been reliant on in order to continue that kind of methodology uh, is failing them. And, and I think that that's part of why you see such, you know, uh, angst about the, that mechanism really of that real time feedback of uh, people that are actually qualified and not just blessed with the establishment, uh, whatever, you know, uh, resume, but they're actually, they, you know, they're quali- quality professionals doing their job and they just do their job with this political thing, and it it says the opposite of what the political aristocracy is telling everybody. And then they point it out, and like having to contend and confront that is causing a lot of animosity and angst and just conflict. And the liberal tendency to prefer negative peace over a positive piece means that they see these you know attacks of relevant facts as as attacks and as disrupting that negative piece and that's more dangerous than a positive piece that may require violence to resist the violence uh, of, of the oppressor and it's just that this they all feed in all these different factors feed into each other to give us what we're seeing today let me just say this before, before like, I, I, no, I, no 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 me me me, me. so the, the the one thing i want to say is like it's not even just experts though because like for years and years and years as a white guy who's 40 years old i was hearing from the black community for my entire life hey you look the cops are fucking beating the shit out of us the cops are shooting us the cops are being bad but on television we're hearing the exact opposite 
And as a direct result of cell phones and being able to post videos, now everyone's pretty much in agreement. Oh, fuck, yeah, this is happening. And it's the same thing where we were saying, hey, look, the CIA is bringing crack into fucking inner cities and selling it to black people. And everyone's like, no, 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 that's not, not, that's not fucking happening. Now we know that that was also true. And so it's not just experts in the field. And a good expert would be Jason Hinkle talking about poverty. Uh, it, it's just everyday people being able to say, hey, look, this is what's happening, and you're telling me that not to believe my, my lying fucking eyes. But that goes back to the earlier part that was made, Nick, and that's why the media narratives are having less and less effect, and that's why it's not, it's not acceptable to you know, criticize people who are, like we're doing now, talking about these issues in a way that could be presented, at, could be at least within the current framework described as conspiratorial, because like when you do that, all you do is empower people who are not afraid of that, who are not afraid of that, uh, who are not afraid of that title, who tend to be up to no good or just me, like I'm up to no good, uh, mm-hmm. to step in and fill the, and fill the voids left by your narratives. And that has been more and that has been more and more in the modern era, the far right the far right's main form of arguing their legitimacy because you have somebody like a Trump type figure and even he's, and even like the, the Trump type figures in the sort of the, the alt right for lack of a better term, people who were talking are being supplanted by just like literal neo-Nazis for some, at some point, because like, you know, people are, are tired of like people, people are tired of litigating the culture wars while they're fucking starving. And so like no one, no, no one, like Ben Shapiro was great for a little bit, but like, you know, People aren't people aren't becoming joining the far right uh, to like to like argue about like despite the yeah fuck it I'm I'm abandoning that train of thought I, I lost it there the point I'm going to make was that you know far right steps in and and fills the void by you know arguing that by speaking to the vo- like by filling in the gaps that are being left by mainstream narratives and of course the mainstream just I mean you know I hate using the term mainstream media because it fucking it makes me feel like I'm a conspiracy theorist but for you know. Yeah, corporate media, like or centrist media, for lack of a better term, it's like they just complain about the fact that people are not letting them control a narrative, as opposed to understand. Like, yeah, well, the only way to stop that is to actually speak to it, right? The only way to stop, the only way to stop uh, the far right from weaponizing uh, immigration to lead people to like become nativist or nationalist or ethno-nationalist is to actually discuss the ways in which global capital is causing an influx of migrants from the global south. And those migrants aren't, you know, the agents of, you know, bracket, bracket, bracket globalists, but they're the, they're the primary victims of neoliberal capitalism. They're, pri- they're the same, they are victims of the same system and the same people who are leading to like who who led to your factories being closed in Ohio. It's like there's a connectivity to that and the far right is able to draw a different conclusion from that connectivity. They're able to like confuse correlation with causation because the actual causative effects involve class and capital and the movement of global capital and the mainstream media is much more comfortable platforming the far right's version of events than they are with platforming the far left version of events because they're only implicated by the far right, the left version of events. It's all fine. It's I all have good. a point it's all to, just uh, as a vulnerability about, of what we're talking about for the near left and that uh, I know a lot of people in order to counter the, you know, when Bernie said something positive about Castro that then, you know, oh, he's an FDR Democrat, not a socialist and all that kind of narrative. I just want to make a point about what happened under FDR is uh, FDR shied away from backing anti-lynching leg- legislation in order to... Uh, 
not upset Southerners uh, to oppose his new deal and that like that is that that can also be a play for what I'll call the near left and that essentially uh, bargaining away the liberation and the of uh, more marginalized and oppressed people in order to secure uh, the uh, I, I would say the righteous uh, gains that they should seek under like social security and so on and so forth, but then sacrificing uh, some of their comrades in order to attain it. And it fits into the same kind of model. And like what happens then is those same, the people that were the, the radicals fighting against that uh, establishment machine then become the same ones that are saying, uh, well, we need to preserve what we have and your radical uh, opposition to the people that are enabling it makes it more difficult for us to be able to perpetuate it and like they essentially become the new establishment and status quo uh, uh, champions. <laughs> no, definitely not. But I mean, I, I, I would probably, some people would call me a tanky, I think. I read Edible Farm, but just to get to your point, I mean, I, I use the left-right dynamic a lot, but I also find it to be incredibly reductive because there are so many things that are hegemonic. And so self-identifying as something doesn't necessarily mean you're not victims of reactionary, you know, reactionary impulses affecting your thought process. So like, yeah, there were plenty of people on the left who in the, who in the aftermath or right, the direct aftermath of the Bolivian and the, of the Bolivian uh, coup were like, well, you know, maybe we should think more about this and, and you know, and elevate the voices of Bolivians and, you know, and X, Y, Z, you, wanna, you don't want to come across as conspiratorial, but that's like, that is, you know, uh, that's just respectability politics. Like that, like there is a certain, and this is, I mean, it's the same phenomenon. There is a certain type of leftist who is still, and they tend to be people from like, you know, people who still occupy centrist type spaces or establishment type institutions uh, who ardently believe that like the key to the left being taken seriously and gaining power is just being like smart and nuanced that this is a that, that what's keeping the left back is you know finding the right language and words and ha and like presenting liberals or people with power with the right set of facts and like having unimpeachable like logically airtight arguments and that is simply like not the case <laughs> like that has never been the case that's just not how power works that it, it's, it's not and like and so you see them also subscribe to it's like oh you know we don't want to come across as sounding crazy because then liberals won't listen it's like but here's the thing like as long as, as soon as you start deviating from the status quo you sound crazy it's like it's like that's like that like that's how it works it's like it's not about the it's not about how articulate you are or whether you have a doctorate or whether you can like you can argue your points in a bulletproof way they will mock mm -hmm. you until it becomes clear that you are correct and then they will ignore you and that's what and that's what always happens and like the left adjacent people in the media are the worst at this because their leftist bona fides are entirely cordon to like writing like shallow ass fucking opinion articles about some bullshit and then chastising leftists online when they think that they've gone too far or like, oh, can you, you know, you guys are acting crazy. I'm just as much a socialist as you are, blah, 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 blah. And then when it comes out to the leftists online, like the 16-year-old with the user handle, like, come goblin 69 was correct about the Bolivian coup, like, they just stay silent. They, they, they just clam up. And like, because ultimately, despite their self-described ideology, their role is still to protect class power. It's like, it's not, about, it's not about whether they think that they're socialist or democratic socialism. Their goal is to protect class power. That's part of their job. Which is why you see Chris uh, uh, Hayes tweeting out all sorts of things as if 
like his Etch-a-Sketch brain just discovered a new thing that's a problem with capitalism. And then his nightly show, he doesn't talk about it at all. I don't, I don't know what the fuck is wrong with Chris Hayes. It's like, I've called him like, I've called him doctor, like doctor liberal, uh, fucking Mr. Marxist on, on like to his face online. He found it funny. I think like, yeah, it's true. Exactly. Like it's true. It's like, it's true. Like it's not funny to me. Like, you're an adult. Like it's funny to people who fetishize, like some people like fetishize, like rather there are people out there who just want to be represented. Like there, there's definitely a portion left who really just want to be represented in the media and they don't care if things change. They just, they just want to hear Chris say, say means of production. That makes them gooey. But like me, I'm like, okay, what the fuck? I don't care. <laughs> like, like I don't care if you, if you quote Trotsky or Marx or Lenin on fucking all of Chris Hayes. Like I care like if you consistently present narrative that challenge power, I care if you fucking, if you platform Palestinians. It's like, I don't care what you tweet. I, I don't feel anything. Chris Hayes should have been dragged off the set of his show like a long time ago after, you know, saying things about like, you know, having Palestinians on or something like this. And because it's abundantly clear that he knows better. That's what bothers this me. This nigga looks like an owl and is full of shit. Like no, like, no offense to Chris Hayes, but like, I mean, I don't hate him. I don't dislike him in any personal way, but I'm sure he's trying his best. And he's definitely like leagues above a lot. Fucking Chris Matthews, definitely. But leagues above a lot. <laughs> as far as Chris's goes, you know. But, you know, it, he's still subject to the same demands of, this, of that institution. And I don't find that to be, a, and I don't, and here, for here, so here's my, my opinion right about it. And I feel the same way about like columnists at shitty, at shitty publications, like the fucking Atlantic. It's like, as a leftist, I think that everybody, regardless of their ability to have a job or whether they have a job or not, should be provided with the, you know, the not only the like the fucking minimum necessary to survive in a society like housing and food or whatever, but like the minimum necessary to live a happy and fulfilling life, regardless of what that shit. Like I, I, I go that far. Like you don't need to have like a fucking like you know I don't need like full luxury space communism, which is a fucking joke. What I do need though is like, hey, you should be able to live a fulfilling life regardless of whether you work or not. That's what makes society healthy and happy. It's like, but I what I don't believe is that everyone should be allowed to have whatever job that they want to have. And if it's and if I think in that if it's deleterious to society because they're fucking promoting propaganda or advocating for coups or working institution advocates because that like we just have to fucking accept that because like well you know you don't want to like, it's like no it's like, that's not how it works it's like the only people who believe that are people who want to be calmness and want and like and like sort of like sowing the seeds for like well one day when i'm doing this i don't want people to judge me negatively yeah and that's okay like it's like you know it, it is what it is but we should like maybe if your institution is consistently advocating for coups and like disguising power it shouldn't exist it should be replaced well, and the other thing is just that, like, they always, the like I said earlier, like, the Twitter, Twitter attacks and, like, the, uh, you know, just protests and, like, shouting pe- at people at restaurants, they see that as violence, but not the violence of the uh, oppressive policies that are destroying people's lives and, you know, like, uh, the drug war, for an example, that was expressly started to suppress political dissent. Well, that, was was like all these other just- that was a conspiracy too. That was a conspiracy until we had Ehrlichman. Until we, had, until we until we found like fucking literal video and audio evidence of it that said that was like where Nixon was just like, yeah, fuck it, I, I started the drug war just to fuck with niggers and hippies. People, people were like, oh yeah, you mean all those Negroes and hippies were right when they were saying that for the past few decades? It's like, yeah, of course they were. That is also a form of violence. Like this, I, I, I fucking hate this term. But the gaslighting has psychological ramifications. Like we were constantly saying, like, don't believe your fucking eyes. And that's a form of violence on your own constitution and psyche. Like I literally had to take time off of Twitter and get the fuck away from all of this shit because I was sitting there going out of my mind 
about the false uh, narrative that was surrounding the Russiagate story. I mean, it's not gaslighting, it's false consciousness. Like it's what it is. It's, you know, it's, 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 hegemonic, it's the hegemonic nature of neoliberalism and, neo, and neoconservatism. Like that's what it is. Like if anything, gaslighting is a form, using the term gaslighting is a form of gaslighting because it's meant to obscure the fact that these, that these things are, or rather, it's, it's, it's using language that is meant to describe interpersonal, interpersonal incidences of abuse and psychological manipulation. And I, I watched to watch the movie. It's a pretty good movie too. Like to describe what are structural and hegemonic phenomenon, which is not saying you can't do that, but I would argue. It's a, it's a quick shorthand. It's, 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 a, it's a quick shorthand, which is fine, right? I, I'm not a purist, but I would argue that this particular quick shorthand was adopted, not because it is good at describing it, rather it's because it's better at describing what's happening, but because of the people who, or rather because of the population that using that language indexes, because what it is, you know, the, the quote Adorno, it's the psychoanalyse of the fucking like social worker class of the of the of like the therapist and that language was used because it you know it at least tacitly centers white women like bougie white women who are most likely to adopt that language as a way to you know as a way to sound smarter uh about when describing things because they tend to be the ones who like talk most about going to therapy because they have access to health insurance and health care and what do you call it? and but like and like and so like and it was adopted early on in Trump's fuck and I would argue it was adopted early on in Trump's uh tenure as president as a way to like you know at least make the argument at least position the argument that like white women are bougie white women are the primary victims of the current of the current like uh, manifestation of like far right politics when that is simply not the case, not the case at all, which is itself a form of abuse, which gets back to our original point about abuse. It is, you know, I had a lot of original points, but the white guy fucking just totally. I mean, <laughs> I, I, was, I was also eating pancakes, so I'm not, I, I honestly, my yeah, I, I heard you take a bite, so I was like, yeah, no, I'll step in. I, I'm just personally sick of having the idea rammed into my skull at every opportunity that my maladjustment to the situation to capitalism, you know, that that I find it depressing thinking about how capitalism enslaves children, cages children, kills people around the world, does all those things, it, and it, it fucks up my day. That that is a problem with me and my ability to deal with like, and not a problem with the system is like constantly being bombarded with that idea is, is psychologically uh, uh, wearing. Well, you're supposed to feel, you're supposed to feel that way. And that's what, and that again, loops into the first part of the conversation, which is that like, you're supposed to like deviance from the system is supposed to make you feel like an outsider and you're supposed to avoid, try to be avoiding that feeling, whether it's an outsider, because whether it's, you know, whether it's abandoning the, uh, Rather, or there's opening yourself up to being accused of being an irrational conspiracy theory for like just drawing basic conclusions uh, from history about America's uh, actions overseas, or you know showing that you know like being maladjusted to the workday, uh, the nine to five workday, or any other those things. Like you're supposed to feel as though like you're alone in that because society positions, you know. For well, since since neoliberalism, like neoliberalism, neoliberal individualism is a big facet of how we interpret the world. Like the idea that the individual that society is nothing more than a bunch of individuals who tolerate living next to each other uh, for some reason, right? Like the, you know that that the individual is uh, meaningful 
and then a meaningful fucking uh, level of analysis when, or rather the most meaningful level of analysis when discussing society. And I would also argue that that particular, uh, that particular issue is why gaslighting is something to probably avoid because just because it's, it's psycho, it's psychoanalytical, it centers the individual a lot of times, especially in the context of a psychoanalytical, a psychoanalytical paradigm that often does not take into effect capitalism or neoliberalism when, or the environment and like the toxic environments that those things create when addressing people's problems. But you know, right. so you say use the word false consciousness. Yeah, I mean, I use Marxist terms. We have Marxist terms for, I mean, or sociological terms rather for this because it's important. You know, but and I would argue, I would say sociology or sociologists have fallen off. A sociologist, anthropologist, uh, social scientist, general besides economics, which is not really a social science. It's mostly just like magic and fucking basically just astrology, uh, but it has caused a lot more deaths. Uh, it's like those like social sciences have been supplanted by psychology because the individual is viewed as the, well, because of neoliberalism and the individual is viewed as a level of analysis that we should all be striving to like, or it's viewed as a, a really important level of analysis in the psychoanalytical and psycho, psychoanalysis trend, you know, it, it, it lends itself to that. But is I quickly, pro- I just want to, uh, there's just a, I know you want to transition, uh, but quickly it's, there's a point about anthrop- anthropologically uh, that there's a discount, like that the new, the most recent anthropological and sociological studies conflict with uh, what has long been the status quo establishment kind of understanding of society, on, of the evolution of human humanity, the social structures of early uh, human groups, and all those types of things. And uh, I know that this happens to be kind of in your field. So do you have some insight to that kind of dynamic that I think you were alluding to a bit? Like, I think that it comes across as new to people outside of those fields. But, mm-hmm. it, that, but, that, but that goes to your point. The reason it comes across as new is because it's in contradiction to hegemonic ideals that have been foisted upon them for the, for the entirety. Of, I mean, that, that's just that they're socializing to believing. Like, for example, like the idea that race is biological is has and that race is biological in the sense that like we are born with physical attributes uh that we're born physical attributes that uh that we describe as being racially coded like black white no melanin shit like that that have ascriptive tendencies tied to them by our society like black people are good at basketball white people are you know, they smell like mayonnaise. Asians, they do math, you know, like Yang. Uh, what, what's, what's, what's some more stereotypes? Like, like you know, that, like, that kind of like the, like the, the belief that, that race and culture and biology and language are tied together was, you know, disproven in like the 1910s and 20s, the early 20th century by Boazian fucking like anthropological uh, system. Like they had like the fact, like the fact that we're still doing race science, like in like mainstream publications, despite the fact that race science- Not even main, not just mainstream publications, like sports channels are still fucking talking about. Yeah. And, Pinker and poverty. Yeah, definitely. You know, like, the, like yeah, like that's one reason it's fallen. Like it, it gets become less and less popular. But it's it's also just because like those like those fields tend to be focused on like society as a group, society as one, like society as um 
as a level of organ as, as a unique entity that is worth studying and engaging with more so oftentimes in the individual who really can't exist outside like people can't exist outside of a society like that like, you know people don't they just don't really, they don't exist. And like, people don't just like, you know, exist alone or, or rather a person just does not exist alone in the fucking jungle by himself because then they don't develop language and they don't, they don't, they just become feral. Like, like fucking kids and mom. I'm thinking of our powder. <laughs> uh, are you thinking of powder? But no, I mean, but actually that's a, I know I wouldn't transition. That, that's, a, that's, a, that's a good transition actually, because the only thing I, I, I want to talk about was the, the recent, uh, the recent revelations about the coronavirus and the Trump administration, uh, fucking repatriating people who had the virus <laughs> and exposing yep. members of Homeland security, uh, to like to infected people, which I mean, Ugh. And then lying about it, then having the HHS cover it up, and then not letting the HHS come out and say, hey, look, we've got these infected centers around military base. Oh, no, I mean, like, so the Trump news came out, and it was, you know, fucked up, and I was like, oh, yeah, this is going to be a real, like, if this is, like, if this is the reason why, like, a plague, an epidemic, like, comes to America's, like, Trump's lazy bullshit, that would be fucked up. But, like, that's the, that wasn't, like, the catalyzing of it that made me want to talk about it. What made me want to talk about that, I think that people are coming around to understanding that, like, the coronavirus, you know, specifically, but just broadly speaking, like, the existence of, uh, like, superbugs and viruses and the possibility of pandemics is one of the best arguments or rather the best examples of the fact that the a lack of Medicare for all is a health crisis, a public health crisis. And I, and I don't want to, and like, I don't want to be misunderstood where it's like, yes, a pandemic in and of itself is a public health crisis, right? Like a, like a fucking coronavirus type situation or like a Spanish flu or bubonic plague or whatever, like spreading from person to person is a public health crisis. But the, lack of health insurance itself like the lack of of health care of universal health care was already a public health crisis and that public health crisis is only becoming visible now because there is something like the coronavirus out there that's really emphasizing the fact that we do live in a society right like it's very again and again that's very easy to forget and because it's very easy to forget it's very easy to like position the suffering of people without health care as though it is discreet and unrelated to the health of society and has no effect on the health of society. But then you have something like a coronavirus come along and you're forced to actually like fucking put the lack of healthcare and what that means for how people deal with being sick into conversation to with like, oh yeah, we all live in close proximities with one another. And like, and like then here are, and, and here's the implications for that for people's health. Right. And so like, you know, a lot of people were talking like, like it, it's it's hard to deny that we have a population of people, a substantial population of people in America who don't have access to health care. And because they don't have access to health care, uh, they haven't in a long time. They avoid going to the hospital when they feel sick, going to the doctor when they feel sick, because all they can think about is like, well, you know, the bill, this might bankrupt me. What like, what if like, my insurance only covers hospital visits if, it, if I'm admitted? And so if I'm not admitted, then, well, I'm going to I'm gonna have this huge bill. Like, or like, and well, does my, you know, does my insurance cover X, Y, or Z? I, I really just, I know, risk it. Not only do we have, like, not only is that an issue for like Medicare for all, but we also have a society where like universal sick leave is not necessarily a thing. 
like right it's like there's a possibility someone might get like you know there was a study that the cdc did a while ago that found out that i i, I don't remember the exact like the exact number so you'll have to forgive me if this is like not correct but i think they found out that like 15 percent of people who work in restaurants and handle food they, they go to work when they're sick specifically when they are sick with like stomach type viruses that involve like you know hate to use hate to use toilet humor but like diarrhea or or something like that like like they go to work in those situations because they have no other option and in divorced from like a literal superbug out there that's just like oh that's, that's sad that's fucked up you know like it, it's it's you know people got to make money but then you like again the the, the superbug comes into the fucking conversation and it's like oh wow yeah that has implications for society not only food service but all levels of our supply chain so you know like how what do you think the grocer who's stocking vegetables is paying what do you think like the butcher who's doing all that in the grocery store page. So like at all levels of points of infection, you've got someone who's making next to minimum wage who can't afford not only to go to the hospital, but also can't afford to miss a day at work. It's like the mental image I have is just some rich asshole sitting in their fucking den or whatever, fucking reading the Wall Street Journal and, and seeing coronavirus headlines and, the, and their stock go down. And then they hear like the, the housekeeper cough and they, they look over their paper and, and then it just suddenly clicks for them that like, well, wait a minute, this is a threat to me. Like We actually have to do something about this. And it's like, and now people are actually freaking out, but it's more about the economic aspect of it than the, the pandemic or the, the, the health care aspect. I think the people that have been living those things that, you know, have been showing up to work with, sick, with bugs and all those types of things uh, are processing it differently. But that's just the mental image that comes to my mind as you guys were describing the situation. But the, the other thing is not to downplay the economic issues. I mean, like most of our supply chain for the world flows through China. With China putting over a quarter of their workforce into mandatory uh, quarantine, like that means that there's a massive slowdown, which is why we're seeing like thousand point drops in the, in the Dow, which is very important because most, I personally believe, based on like spending habits of the Fortune 500 companies and how they've distributed their money for the past like decade, most of what we have in terms of our economic boom has been a, a combination of stealth quantitative easing and, and low interest rates, but also a false confidence that the market is actually doing well. Like no one's really hiring more people. And now if you've got a forced quarantine while you're slowing down like the entire process of the global economic system from step one all the way to step 500, you're going to see that confidence drop. And when that confidence drops, I think we're really honestly looking at the beginning of the next crash that's being brought on by this in particular, only because people really don't understand how the global economic system was propped up after 2008 and not allowed to have certain sectors of it fail. So there's a lot of, there's a lot of brokenness already inherent in the system, even though it's skyrocketing. And this pandemic is going to <laughs> cause a gigantic collapse. So now we're dealing with a pandemic, a broken healthcare system, and an economic collapse. Yeah, I mean, I would say people don't realize just how broken our system is until something actually comes forward and dis and like and it's, it becomes a very visible sign of it. Like this, is like the pandemic is not doesn't only implicate our health. Uh, you know, I got you know like our you know our health culture like i mentioned but also like what john mentioned too right and it's you know and you can also loop in immigration and like our crackdown on like what you call it our crackdown on fucking uh uh fucking asylum seekers and people coming from the global south it's like if someone with someone you know someone who is uh, here undocumented might in fact get you know might be sick 
and might want to go to the hospital, but avoid it simply because they're they're afraid of ice. And that's not to demonize immigrants and say, well, they're all dirty because like that's like that's a right wing far right narrative. But that is as a possibility, one that we should be, you know, that can only be guarded against by actively incorporating a level of empathy into our society for the most marginalized that would prevent them from having to live on the fringes. It's to draw people in from the fringes. It's like, and if you don't offer something, then the ideas like build a wall, cage them up and, you know, put them in camps become palatable to people that are, are scared and, and, and ingrained with the hegemonic ideas that already lay into those and, and marginalize and subjugate so many people continue. But like, uh, no, just to jump on what you were saying, like, but also that's not really a solution. It's like the wall, like the wall is not a solution there, you know, like, and so like, there are so many things broken up our society. There are so many things that are, that leave us so much less healthy that people can't even conceptualize because they view themselves as living in discrete fucking uh, bubbles, a divorce from everybody else, except for when they're inconvenienced by everybody else, which of course, you know, you can position the argument of a pandemic as people like, you know, that's one of the main, that's one of the big fears of, you know, industrialized, urbanized society. Like, oh, what does a pandemic look like in a city of 3 million people who live in, in close proximity? It's like, there's going to be a liberal checkmark that's going to complain about Uber raising their prices because people are refusing to take tr- public transportation out of fear of the coronavirus. And that's going to be like their plight. I just, I can sense it already. Oh yeah. This is about like how living in society inconveniences people because that's the only time society becomes visible to people. Where are people are like the fact that we live in society becomes visible to people when they're being, when they're being inconvenienced by it because of like years of decades of neoliberal indoctrination that position like well yeah society is only there for your convenience all right the society you know other people are necessary there's no such thing as society right so like there's no such thing as solidarity with one another and so like society only exists when you're being inconvenienced by other people or by the state it's like the inability to recognize the conveniences afforded to you by society or the conveniences afforded to you by the state and only recognizing their breakdowns i mean shit like i, I we all saw that that um uh, Marco Rubio or Ted Cruz or some some dumb that was Marco Rubio doing that fucking like periscope from his car talking about how Bernie Sanders represents fucking Marxism and socialism that the at the the heart of democratic socialism is is you know fucking Trotskyism or some shit and like he didn't even describe democratic socialism he was just like you know the government offers you you know like the government offers you security and free you know security and resources and all that other shit in exchange for your you know exchange for some of your liberties but if they can't provide those liberties to you you don't get your freedom back you know like free like they 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 want to you know they want to provide you schools and like and free health care other shit like, like dude you're not even describing marxism you know you're, you're not describing nationalizing public utilities or like you're not talking about like capital or any other shit like you're just talking about what it means to live in a society <laughs> you're just talking about like the basic like the basic foundations of like liberal society. And I don't mean liberal, like, you know, liberal, like the Democrats, but like liberal, like the social contract and the enlightenment, like, yeah, enlightenment fucking sucked because of slavery, but like, you know, like you're against the constitution, essentially. You're like, Oh, you mean like, like you're like, but I mean, that's a mask off moment for a lot of people. I wasn't for me. I mean, like it was, it was just illustrative, not really mask off. I know what the Republicans stand for. It was illustrative that a lot of people's concerns about like socialism and Bernie Sanders are really just like 
or rather radical far left social emergence as a kid. It's like it's really just like disliking just like disliking society like they just dislike the idea of the state like it's it's so like it's or rather like they just don't think the state should be involved they they just dislike the state they they dislike society it's, it's fucking weird it's like they, not really when you go back to the intellectual history of the conservative movement in america i mean you look at fucking buckley you look at fucking ayn rand you look at all these people and there's a through line there it, it's it's exactly what you would expect. <laughs> I didn't hate <laughs> other people. Unless they were fucking child molesters. That brings it back to uh, Epstein. It always comes back to Epstein. All, all roads lead back to Epstein and 9-11. Epstein did 9-11. <laughs> oh, yeah. Epstein did 9-11. I don't want you to get too blue with this because we, pr- we have to put this episode out as a, as a freebie. We can't. We can't. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, that, that was it. That was all I was we going to. We can't it. put this behind a paywall just because it gets a little dark. <laughs> But like just going back to the coronavirus situation again, like and the implications of it, it's just like it. I think Richard is right. Where a lot of it comes down, it's like, oh, like what are the economic, what are the economic uh, implications of this? Like, what are the biological implications of this? Like, but like people aren't really talking about. I would argue, like how. I mean, people are talking about it now, but like because we are as well. Like the like so much of this is also just like revealing just how many gaps are in our social infrastructure, and, and like or like in like in how so like in how we've allowed so many people to live in such bone crushing deprivation and maldistribution and access to resources that they that we have entire people who are just like instinctually afraid of going to the doctor and a that was a problem before the epidemic and that's something i want to really hammer home because you know we we see people you know arguing that like hey you know medicare for all uh, this coronavirus is like is the best argument for why we need it it's like because you know it's a public health crisis but what like what should not be lost is like no Lack of Medicare for all was a public health crisis already. It was causing our society. It was causing our society and many people within our society to like to live lives that are that are incredibly precarious and incredibly stressful for no reason, uh, other than to enrich like four people. And it's not just the, and it can't just be framed as a public health crisis because now like everyone is affected, quote unquote, or rather really it's like just the, you know, it has the possibility of, of infecting important people or society or like everybody, but like, no, you know, we have to actually be able to like, look, take a step back, look at it objectively and look at, look at it outside the framework that says like people who don't have access to certain things, people who live in poverty are doing so, are like, are doing so because they've made bad decisions or they've done the wrong thing or because they deviated from uh, mainstream narratives and start talking about Epstein too much. It's it's because like some people wanted to get rich, it, but that has an effect on our entire society. Yeah, you can't have three people with the same amount of wealth as a hundred million people in one country, and that not cause social like societal level problems. Like it's just it makes sense even just just like just saying it. You just you can't have three people with the same size of a slice of pie as a hundred million people and not expect that the hundred million people slicing that, that piece into other little pieces doesn't mean that a lot of people get left out. It's like, that just, it should be plain, plain obvious and a society that doesn't address that and hasn't addressed that for decades is clearly failing. Like it, it's just on its face, apparently true. And so coming to grips with that and recognizing the vulnerabilities or the threats that that represents to your place in this existing structure is something that we have to do. And it's just the, the more comfortable and secure you are within the system, the uh, more threatening and dangerous that feels for people, I presume. And so 
but it, we have to do it as a society. Otherwise, we're all fucking doomed. <laughs> oh, I was going to say, I don't, I don't necessarily think people are going to go. I mean, people are going to do the Uber thing, but like people are also going to go full Malthusian about this fucking, about this uh, fucking coronavirus. I mean, they've already gone full xenophobic about it for what I mean, because like that's all we do. But like they're also going to go just like full Malthusian, like, well, there's, there's two, there's overpopulation anyway. You know, maybe the corona, maybe the coronavirus is nature's way of taking care of climate change. It's just like, but well, we have too many people in old folks' homes and not enough beds, and they're the ones that are most susceptible. Why should we do whatever medication we can for them when they're just dying anyway? Wow, you trying to get a job on the Bloomberg campaign, John? Trying to trying to get one hundred fifty dollars. Yeah, sixty five hundred a week. That that was a lot of money, my man. I don't know. Like, I, I holy shit, yeah. yeah. That's a lot of money. <laughs> like that, like that's that's retiring money, my man. In South Carolina, and, and like in some parts of this country, uh, but good for him for denying it. I, I probably would deny it too because I, I can't. I don't have the, I don't have the self control to shill properly because like I would just say something. <laughs> I would just say something, uh, like entirely off the cuff, like Jason Johnson did, a longtime friend of the show, Jason Johnson. Uh, and, and you know what? As much as I hate Jason Johnson, I, I, it's kind of fucking. It's kind of something that he was the one that was suspended while Chuck Todd and Chris Matthews keep getting spout their shit. I hate that. I hate that they have to, like, that I want to, like, say something about the, the black guy getting fucking uh, blackballed or, you know, getting pushed off to the sideline while the, the other other hosts on there say and do more ra- ridiculous things on a regular basis and on the network that they're on, not on another show. And so, like, but at the same time, what he did and said was so absurd that he, like, should be held accountable. It's just, it's that, you know, it's this whole thing of like black versus white accountability and so on and so forth. Chris Matthews' apology that he was forced to do was quite clearly like the he hated every second of it, and the hatred that was spewing out of him as he was saying those words was very much apparent. He didn't even have to fucking mean it; he could just say it. Chuck Todd is dumb as shit, and Chris Matthews is absolutely uh, like disingenuous because he really thinks he's going to be executed in Central Park on Bernie Sanders' inauguration day. And I say, let him. If he wants to live like that, let him live like that. Uh, I like. I don't know if they've done anything that deserves yeah, to be executed like on my fucking inauguration day. I can tell you that much. he is not going to live to you until you become president. To that, I want to be accused of ages, and that motherfucker is old. I'll go, the only one I've been surprised has not been fired is Joy Ann Reed. Joy Ann Reed is, is always like she's always like like yeah chris matthews weird but everyone compares bernie to hitler it's not appropriate but people do it all the time uh chuck todd is just dumb but they're all pretty stupid like joy and reed like low-key has like a lot of like weird shit going around like she's the one who is like okay cons- like it's like doing conspiratorial like weird shit like she basically i remember i mean we make the joke every week so of course everyone remembers when she had miss cleo on to like to uh to read some tea leaves to declare that bernie sanders is crafty i'm like oh dude that's not okay <laughs> I mean, what, what I guarantee what it'll be is that she'll say something positive about something too far left, and that'll be like the catalyst around what what gets her kicked off, and there'll be a movement to welcome her into. Yeah, but I mean, there already is. She was saying something on, uh, like, she was saying maybe we need to come to grips with the fact that most of these people are very angry about their station in life, and like everyone's like, "Oh my God, Joy gets it." I'm like, "No, she fucking doesn't," and even if she does, fuck her. Right is like don't don't let these people just come back in because they're they're not they're they're not good faith actors. That's just what I'll say. They're not, it's not that they're not good faith actors. A lot of them are also just like not youthful because they're stupid. It's like <laughs> no, I mean, no, like no. <laughs> yeah. it's, like, it's like it's like no, it's like, no offense. It's like yeah, like, 
it, like they're like their job is not to provide nuanced analysis of what's going on culturally. Their job is to flatter centrists. Like once it once there's no need, once there are no more centrists to flatter. Like one like once people are forced to take their side, and like the centrist population becomes smaller and smaller. Like, well, ideally, we're gonna you know work be working towards the left. Like they're like like they're like what they're good at, which is coddling centrists. Like that's no longer gonna be a viable job, like a viable job career. Like like the people who are resisting Sanders are like i mean at least the core people like the the rich people are doing it are doing so because you know i, I forgot who made the point but the nearer tens of the world it's like their jobs are on the line. yes 100 like bernie sanders takes if bernie sanders becomes president of the united states if he becomes the de facto head democratic party a lot of these people are going to be out of work and like that fucking suck chuck schumer nancy pelosi they're politicians not just pundits. i mean no, they'll probably stick around i mean honestly i don't think that because again, because they're so old, I don't think we're going to have enough like enough radical shifts when he gets elected to be, replace every bad person in office who we don't like. But you know, but like they'll retire. Some, but some of them are probably going to retire. But like the younger, like you know, centrist media, like Democratic aligned punditry, like who like your Chuck Todd's, like, like they're already becoming less and less popular. Like the more they resist Sanders, because like they're it, it reveals to people that they're not in line with the ideals that they thought they were in line with. They're like the Bernie Sanders supporters who thought that you know, hey, like I don't understand why you, I don't understand why you guys don't like him. Like he seems like a good person. Like I thought that you like you know anti racism and helping poor people. Like they don't realize that that's not like they're not really about that life. They, they rather they didn't realize they weren't about that life until right now, and so like that's going to be like there's going to be less viability for them. I don't know, like like they're right to be afraid that Sanders is going to lead to like some kind of apocalypse for them, like for them. It's like, but I and I don't think it's 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 not a good idea to position their happiness as being intrinsic to whatever movement we have to do. Like I don't care if pundits are on our side. Like that's arguably why a lot of them went towards Elizabeth Warren because Elizabeth Warren, even at her most radical even at her most like furthest left when she was in the in in this primary she carved out an exemption for the political media class who also led us into the situation that we're in right now by being so bad at their job and that's why a lot of them flocked to her and also because like they remind she reminded her of them of themselves or i think of themselves as though like they're also experts that they like they they found a kinship with her that was also born out of just like protecting their class but that's all I have for today. You guys can finish us out for or whatever the fuck you want to say. My French is pancake. And I've been eating for an hour and a half. Those same people, like the the savvy and the the I guess the more adaptable ones, what they're going to do is they're going to move on to coddling the more centrist tendencies among the, the new progressive left. And essentially, it, because it's gonna it's gonna overlap the two things. It's gonna overlap the, their ability to coddle. And it's going to be tied to the still remaining threads of centrist tendencies and the things that are considered still more radical out of uh, Sanders supporters or the far left. And that's people have to be aware of that. It's like you can already see it happening that the ones that realize that that center is shrinking and want to and are careerists essentially are already making the move to essentially coddling the the more centrist tendencies within the Bernie Sanders movement and they're going to and they're being welcomed in by a lot of those people because they do exactly what they want they give them the credibility you know it's like oh you know this person is supporting Sanders but they also agree with me about the nuance of Bolivia or you know like so on and so forth like that's those are the types of uh, skill sets they have and the types of vulnerabilities within the movement and so like uh, just I, I just feel uh, I don't know I have to 
mention it. <laughs> no, I mean, they'll, they'll play the human shield like Chris Hayes does for the network. Mm -hmm. Oh, look, we've got a leftist. No, well, yeah, on Twitter. Where the fuck is he on when he's on air? And I think you're 100% right. I think that's, that's something that even Chomsky recognized in manufacturing consent a little bit, which is that these institutions have an ability to mutate and ability to, to formulate themselves in such a way that they still maintain their, their control over the message as well as their ability to make money. I mean, like, say what you want about them hating Sanders, but the Sanders wing of the party is still a marketable uh, base and you can sell them mm -hmm. shit. And, you know, it's, you might not be able to sell any more Raytheon stuff if you sell Sanders shit, but you can still sell a lot of like you know, fucking mattresses or, or you know, um, reusable bat tote bags, groceries, or whatever the hell you want, or electric cars. Uh, all of that stuff is still something that will be pushed because that, those machines, while they're also to push a neoliberal hegemony, they're also set to make So what you're going to see basically is a co-option of the energy behind Sanders' movement, which is for radical change in order to implement more mundane and uh, practical change that's uh, argued to be, you know, uh, more pragmatic and w achievable and all those types of things. And, it's going, and you're going to see people that were, uh, you know, uh, very anti-establishment and pro-Sanders all this time essentially switch into that same type of rhetoric and it'll it'll be slightly better policy that they're advocating than what you know the ACA it'll be Medicare for all instead but essentially the same dynamic will be at play and it's uh, on those that are probably listening to this that are on lean more radical to, to keep that pressure up yeah I think like every everyone who's probably listening to this realizes Medicare for all is just a step towards a national health system like <laughs> nationalize the fuck out of this shit that would be a better way of managing it. Medicare for all is a step towards doing that. We don't have testing kits because almost all of them, because the healthcare system has been shifting its manufacturing base to China, are manufactured in China. So we don't really have any methodology universally to sustain a 3.25 or 325 million person uh, uh, pandemic of that nature, even just determine if someone has it, which would require them to be quarantined. So like we got nothing. Yeah, it's like the coronavirus isn't this, you know, isn't the plague and that is going to, you know, wipe out humanity as we know it or half the population or anything like that. But what it has demonstrated is that if it was, we would not be prepared and it would. Like that's just the like it, we wouldn't be able to stop it. We when, like economically or medically, we we don't have the tools in this country period. But this is how I mean, but this is how everything gets tied together too. It's just like even after this happens, even after because you know, we've had SARS before and the swine flu and all these other kind of like pandemic scares. Zika. Zika. Even after all of this happens, people are still going to be arguing against it because they'll have learned nothing. Because like their first impulse is like, okay, now that the now that the immediate thing is over, it's time to preserve class power and the status quo again. It's like we'll wake up we'll wake up brand fucking new up to the next pandemic and go like, oh yeah. Last time we didn't do anything about. We didn't do anything about. Like, and we were fine, so we don't need to do anything. This time. No, no. The, like, it'll, like we'll go through the same process again, where people will be like, "Oh yeah, right." But that's what I'm saying. People, we last time we survived, we didn't do anything. So why do we need to do something this time? Hey, we just listed out Zika, uh, bird flu, swine flu, um, MERS, SARS, all these things that we said were going to be pandemics, but we survived those. So why do we need to do anything for this? That's the same exact argument uh, that the people who are taking sixty-five thousand dollars from Bloomberg. Are doing. 
I think I don't even know if they're going to make that argument. I mean, well, they, they, some of them might, but I think that's like a very um, marginal part of the population who will make it like, oh, we were fine, we were fine every time. Like, I think most people will will just exist in that cycle of aggrievement and like, or rather, panic and forgetfulness that preserves class power. Where it'll be like, oh, we'll be like, once we have the next you know bank collapse in the near future, assuming you know Bernie can't do anything about it. Like people will go like, oh yeah, 2008 turns out we didn't actually do anything about that. We didn't do anything. We didn't do anything to actually put in safeguards to prevent it again. We just had like a national conversation. And like, and it, and it comes down to like the fact that we just exist in the, our politics is one of crisis management. Well, and then we'll also find out that like a lot of the same actors are still in positions of power too. We're like, wait, we didn't even find new people. Like we just switched which company they were at. Like what the fuck? Well, I mean, honestly, like, unless someone can get rich off, can get rich off of stopping the plague, then it probably, I mean, I've seen contagion with, I mean, well, I don't remember it, but I've seen it. Uh, like, unless someone can get rich. Well, that's, Nancy Pelosi just did a fucking press conference where she was saying, hey, you know, if we come up with a vaccine for this thing, we'll make it affordable or we'll try to make it. Or, or, you know, like Bill Gates will like, will donate $300,000 to like, you know, to, to, you know, to, uh, to transport the vaccine to marginalized communities and people will bring up the fact like, Hey, you know what, if we had just taxed this guy we, we could have made the vaccine free for everybody and he would still be a billionaire and, and he'll, they'll get shushed out of the way. Yep. But that's it for me. Anyone else got some final thoughts? No, nah, now I'm just more depressed. I'm actually in a great mood. Uh, I can tell. Well, yeah. I mean, honestly, it's, I, I ate a whole pancake. Richard, t- uh, take us out. Okay, and I guess the fuck not, man. <laughs> Whatever. <Yeah. laughs> All right, well, thank you.